Uh, we're following uh, Luke chapter 21 uh, this morning, and uh, you should have a sermon outline there in your bulletins. Uh, I wonder, how, do you hold much interest in the future? Uh, the pastoral questions of so many revolve around the future. How will I cope with growing old? Who will love me? How will I cope with illness or the illness of a loved one? With loneliness or insecurity? Do I have enough money to be secure? They're all questions and worries that revolve around the future. And as we come to Luke chapter 21 verse 5, well this is the last week of Jesus' life. And Jesus gives himself to what? To teaching. Teaching and more teaching. And why does he do that? Well, it's what disciples need as they face the crisis of the cross and the resurrection. It's what the early church needed as they navigated the next few decades ahead. And it's what we need as well. We want to keep going to persevere as Christians. If we want to endure spiritually into the future, we must give ourselves to understanding God's word. Especially if you want to have a handle on the future. Now the setting of this passage is the temple and the disciples are marvelling at its beauty. Uh, the temple is adorned with stones and gifts. It's a big, impressive building. And it was the focus of Jewish wealth and grandeur and the focus of their faith. And in its day, it must have looked strong and unshakable. I mean, have, I know we live in Inverell, but have you ever had the experience of standing under a big city skyscraper and feeling overwhelmed? No? Yes, maybe? Yeah. All right, well, the, uh, remember, this is our, the, the disciples here. I'm not sure that there were too many large buildings in Galilee where they came from. Uh, not many to marvel at. And so the temple must have really been something really impressive. As little boys, the disciples would have journeyed annually for the great feasts. And remember, it was at the heart of who they were as Jewish people. And it epitomised the establishment of Jewish religion that Jesus was up against. And the disciples, you can see them there crowing on about in verse Verse 6, uh, sorry, verse 5, some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with the gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus responds, what is Jesus' response? Verse 6, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another Every one of them will be thrown down. Here is Jesus who comes before the temple as the prophet Malachi said he would and he stands before it and he pronounces its doom. Not one stone will be left on the other. Notice he doesn't make his bed in the temple area in the city of Jerusalem, verse 37. He never makes his home. No, this symbol of power and prosperity will literally be turned upside down. 
And this is a shocking, shocking pronouncement. Verse 7, Teacher, the disciples, they asked, When will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? Notice there are two questions in verse 7. I wonder, do you think Jesus answers the question of when? Might anyone claim to know when? There's no date. It's not like you can get your annual planner out and put it in the diary. Yep, booked in, temple destruction, no worries. Set the alarm for that. Or the return of Jesus, yeah, let just let me put that into my iPhone, my smartphone. We can't do that, can we? And the reason we can't do that is because the Bible is not interested in giving us a date. It's interested in us being ready. Whatever the date is, so that we are prepared for the biggest event of all. The end of the age when Christ returns. According to the Bible, the ultimate success or failure of your life and mine is whether we'll be ready. Do we want to have a successful life? Will I be ready for verse 36 such that I am able to stand before the Son of Man? Now we need to follow, as we follow this, we need to see this chapter weaves together two different strands. We need to disentangle them. And one strand is the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple that the disciples are asking about, the end of one age that happens in 70 AD. The other strand is the end of all the ages, being the end of human history when Christ will return to judge this rebellious world. It's very likely that the disciples thought these two events were one and the same. And so this is what's being disentangled, if you like. As devout Jews, they would be expecting the Messiah to come and when he came to manifest his glory at the end of time, bring in his everlasting kingdom, they knew that when the disciple came, his kingdom would have no end. An eternal kingdom. He'd wind up history and bring in the eternal kingdom and everything will be different. That's what the Messiah is going to do. And now Jesus is letting them know that the temple destruction that he's spoken about and the end of the age are two different events. One foreshadows the other, absolutely. So look at verse 8. Jesus replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but in the end, but the end will not come right away. Now, we can look back at 2,000 years of history, and we can know what Jesus said is true. There are still false messiahs. There are still false prophets who claim to know that the time is near and claim to know when the world's going to end. Every year the news produces another loony who claims to be the messiah and that's in Australia. And why do they always seem to come from Queensland? 
Maybe it's the heat. But it was an immediate problem in the time of Jesus. And Jesus says, don't follow them. Don't listen to them. Be discerning, not fearful. Keep your head. But look at the end of verse 9, because the end will not come right away. And then what follows in verses 10 to 24 is a new section of teaching. Notice the pause, Jesus. Then he said to them, and these verses outline certain events that lead up to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So verse 10, let's read that. Then he said to them, Nations will rise up against nation and kingdoms against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Now what is that about? Well, I'm saying I think that's about the destruction of Jerusalem. How do I know that? Well, in 61 AD, there was a big earthquake in Phrygia that did great damage and was known throughout the Roman Empire. In 63 AD, something blew up. What was it? Vesuvius, yeah, you know that. And it devastated the city of Pompeii. And there were earthquakes, there were pestilences, famines. Claudius and Nero ruled out during famines. There's an account of a famine in the book of Acts. And in 66 AD, we know the Jewish rebellion, which led to the war that destroyed Jerusalem four years later, that began. And even the historian Josephus, who wrote at the time, not a Christian, tells us that there was a comet over the city Jerusalem every night in the form of a sword. I don't understand that. But that happened at the time of the uprising. And that's verse 11. Fearful events, great signs from heaven. But notice verse 12. But before that, verse 12 to 19, maybe that fills in what it will be like before the destruction of Jerusalem. Before that, before the sequence of events en route to Jerusalem. Before that, verse 12, they will lay hold hands on you. And they will persecute you. Verse 20 is quite a specific sign. It talks about when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that the desolation is near. And so again, history tells us that in 66 AD, the Romans began to march against the city and they laid siege to it for four years until Jerusalem capitulated. And it's a matter of history. You can go there today. I've told you I've been there, haven't I? And you can see the stones on top of the oven. You you knew I was going to eventually say that. And there it is. It's history. uh, You can verify it uh, historically. Verse 21. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This is what they did. Let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city. Uh, For this is a time. And indeed, again, this is what happened. Christians, well, they went, oh, you remember what Jesus said? We better get out of here. And they did. They fled the city. They found refuge in a town on the other side of the Jordan. They listened to Jesus' warnings. He said this would happen. And guess what? Many of them lived and thrived. Verse 22. For this is the time of punishment in fulfilment of all that has been written. 
God's patience with Jerusalem is finished and its judgment has come. The city that rejected the prophets and stoned them, the city that rejected their Messiah and crucified him, that city that even after the resurrection and the preaching of good news, still continued to persecute and reject followers of Jesus, ultimately that city had to fall, uh, having shaken its fist at God in such a way. And so there is no way out. Verses 23 to 24 describe the distress, joys of motherhood undone, people killed, people captured, the city decimated. Again, historically, Josephus says a million people perished. That might be too many, but there it is. Dreadful slaughter, terrible judgment. And Jesus tells us the fall of Jerusalem, the crashing of the temple, God's hand is behind it. Yet Christians warned by the word of the Lord, well, they're already out of the city. Those that took heed of his words. Verse 24, they will fall by the sword, those in Jerusalem, and they'll be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles. And again, historically, this has happened, hasn't it? Romans, the Saracens, the Persians, the Franks, the Turks, even the British have all had their way. They've all had their day in Jerusalem. The Gentiles have trampled on the city for centuries. It's a historical fact. They've all been there. And Israel today might have their state, but to this day, Gentiles still have their, have their way. And where the temple was, now stands a Muslim mosque, the Dome of the Rock, and you all know that. But what you need to know is it has happened just as Jesus said it would. It happened just as Jesus said it would. And if Jesus got this other stuff right, then we can trust him for what follows. We should know that those verses in verse 25 to 28 that Tinica read out for us are equally certain. Verse 25, there will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Sounds cosmic, doesn't it? Immense upheavals, apocalyptic stuff on earth causing fear and confusion even the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Why? Because of verse 27. Because the Son of Man is coming. And what else is coming? At the end of verse 28. Did you see it? Your redemption is coming. And at the, uh, verse 31, the kingdom of God is coming. Three things are coming. The Son of Man, your redemption, the kingdom of God 
But we know these three things are really the one thing because the Son of Man coming brings final redemption and the fullness of the kingdom of God. That's the future. That is the future when Christ returns and brings all these good things. But the question this morning has to be, if that is the future, what is our reaction to that? As you look down, as we think about the coming of the Son of Man, you can see two reactions in the text. Verse 26 says, as he comes, some will faint with terror. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody faint with terror. Um, it sounds very, very ordinary. Or yet, verse 28, there will be others who stand up and lift their heads. What a contrast. They will be thrilled and delighted. Some will be filled with terror, given their life of rebellion and indifference to God. And maybe they've scoffed at even the thought of the existence of Jesus and laughed. Or maybe they've scoffed and laughed at the thought that they need to be forgiven, because I'm a good bloke. Yet there will be others, when they see the signs, who will lift their heads. They will rejoice because they know the one who is coming. They go, here he is, my friend, the one I have relationship with. They will know him as king and saviour and Lord, that the kingdom will come in its fullness is something that thrills them. See, we need to see this in the text. It tells us, for some, Christ's return will be a day of judgment and destruction and hell. Yet for others, it will be a day of redemption and great joy and heaven. And they will stand and they will see their Lord face to face. They're the promises, they're the reactions Jesus is, is talking about. This is how the future is going to roll. And so, again, it leaves us with a question, are we ready to stand before the Son of Man? This is the most important question you could ever answer in your life. Nobody knows when this will happen. But Jesus' prediction of the siege of Jerusalem is the guarantee that it will happen. He got the events right. Such fulfilment makes his prediction of his return at the end of the age an absolute guarantee. Little wonder he can say in verse 33 that his words will never pass away. His return will certainly happen. So again the question is, will you be able to stand on that day? Or will you be fainting with terror? See, we can't wait until the end and hope it will turn out okay. This is something to be worked out today. Today is the day to put things right with the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can stand on that day. And if you are not right with God, you must do business with Jesus today and have it worked out with him. Because we must be right with him 
on the day he returns. For there will be nothing better if we are right the day he returns. There will be nothing better, but there will be nothing worse if we are not right with him. And if you want to talk more about that, you must grab me after the service or Daniel or Tineka or another mature Christian believer. You must do it. You must not be proud this morning. It is so important to get this right. Notice three characteristics of those who are ready to meet Christ. Verse 13. They will be witnesses. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. You'll be my witnesses, unashamed, facing death, yes, but still testifying, aided by the Holy Spirit. They'll be witnesses. Verse 19. They'll be enduring and standing firm. They just keep going despite opposition, even betrayal by their family and and the hits and the disappointments, but they withstand, they stand firm. And notice the, character, the third characteristic of those ready, they will be watchful and prayerful, verse 36. Despite the delay, because we're still waiting, aren't we? We need to endure and we need to be on the watch. Now there are two threats to that. Two threats to our enduring. One, verse 34 tells us. Uh, where did verse 34 go? There it is. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. So that's one. For it will come on all who live on the face of the earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. One danger is self-indulgence with the carousing and whatnot, such that we stop watching. The other danger is the anxieties of life and being weighed down by what fills our hearts. We get so distracted and locked into this life and anxieties of life overwhelm us and we allow the seemingly urgent to destroy what we know here to be important, such that the immediate trumps the eternal. We allow ourselves to become submerged with other pressures, and we fail to keep this eternal reality in its right perspective. Here is a news flash, and the news flash is you cannot build heaven here. All our energy goes into building this little life of heaven here. Career, relationships, farm, hobby, beautiful home, whatever it is. And that dream of heaven here, it consumes all our resources. And verse 34, the anxieties of life just pull us down. And don't mishear me, because a career is good and hobbies are good and family is wonderful. Sure, but are they consuming you? Are they consuming you such that you have no time for this and that your perspective on this is a little skewed? This, which is for the last day, the most important day when Christ comes back, such that we fail to watch for his coming. 
You cannot build heaven here. But at Advent, we remember heaven has come to us. The King of heaven in the person of Jesus. That's what we remember at Advent. And that's what we're doing today. Yeah, the King of heaven has come. But this first Sunday in Advent, we remember, yeah, but he promises to come again. And we need to be ready for that. We know that heaven will intervene again in a decisive world-ending finale, such as our desperate need. The creation groans for it. And so our eyes need to be focused on Christ. And we need to watch and pray in light of the important day when he returns. We need to pray that God would help us to be witnesses. We need to pray that we would endure and we need to pray that we keep being watchful until that coming day, that we all here would be able to stand and lift our heads before the Son of Man when he comes again.